This is episode number 60 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the bi-weekly program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective because... Unfortunately, no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. Unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. That's Individual Number One Pod. So much to get to on this episode. There is news actually occurring as we are taping this podcast. The president is doing a press conference with the president of Finland. Uh, There's also a secret meeting or not so secret meeting, I guess a a meeting that's not public uh, with the uh, inspector general, the watchdog of the uh, State Department with congressional leaders about the latest with regard to what's going on in the Ukrainian scandal. So we're not going to be able to discuss everything that's going on, but we still have a fantastic uh, program for you which will be centered around an interview with one of my favorite favorite public figures, a very good friend of mine, a guy I've known for an extremely long time now, going on, uh, I'd say, what, now 16 years. Uh, we've had him on the program before. We talked to him about once every quarter. Uh, he is the uh, House Budget Chairman, a Democrat, Congressman John Yarmouth, a guy who I've been a golf buddy of, and uh, we once hosted a TV show together in Louisville, Kentucky, where he is the congressional representative. Uh, called uh, Yarmouth and Ziegler, and we remain very good friends uh, for all that time since. We disagree on most things politically, but when we get together, most people really enjoy it because it's so incredibly rare in this day and age for someone who is a conservative and someone who is a full-on liberal to be able to uh, communicate in a productive fashion and actually end up agreeing in the Trump era on a whole lot of things. Our interviews are part interview part therapy session, part strategy session. (laughs) And I expect this one to be the same, especially since now the issue of impeachment is front and center. And for those of you who have been fans of this podcast or my career, you are probably aware that I have played a fairly significant role in Congressman Yarmouth's position on impeachment. Before we began the Individual One podcast in the spring of this year, On my other podcast, The World According to Zig, late last year after the Democrats took control of the House of Representatives, I guess technically they hadn't taken control yet, but they had won the midterm election of 2018, and it was obvious they were going to be taking control of the House of Representatives. I had a very long, extensive interview with my friend Congressman John Yarmouth about the issue of impeachment, and at the time, he was pretty much against impeaching Donald Trump. And I made a a very impassioned plea that was based upon the concept of precedent and the future and what would happen to this country if uh, if Donald Trump was never impeached for some of the things we had already known that he had done at that time. What would be the ability of Congress to be able to impeach a president in the future and that this would cause all sorts of problems with regard to precedent, plus the fact that he needed to be held accountable for some of these things. Eventually, I was able to change Congressman Yarmouth's mind, and he became one of the foremost proponents of impeachment. And so that's why I asked him to come on the program today, now that it is clear that the House finally is 
engage in a major, significant, and very real impeachment process of the president. And so he joins us now, chairman of the House Budget Committee and a proud new grandpa, Congressman John Yarmouth. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, John. Good to be with you, as always. All right. There's so much to talk about, John. Uh, So let's get right to it. Uh, You, for a very long time, and I've admired the heck out of this, have been uh, saying it was not a question of if, but when uh, Donald Trump uh, was going to be impeached. I I started to doubt that greatly after the debacle of Robert Mueller's anemic uh, testimony. Did you ever doubt that that uh, prediction or projection was going to be accurate? Uh, Not really. Uh, I I maybe had gone from... uh, 95% 95% certainty to 85% certainty, but I was, I was still relatively relatively confident it would happen. So take us through then, John, uh, the moment that everything changed over the last couple of weeks. Obviously, uh, you know, your speaker, uh, Nancy Pelosi, had been outspoken about uh, wanting to make sure if you were going to impeach that certain things had to be in place and that that was not the case yet. And then all of a sudden seemingly almost overnight, all of that changed. Can you take us through the moment when you saw that transformation and and why you think it happened? Well, um, it was it was definitely last Monday when we started hearing um, the rumblings that there was essentially a smoking gun phone call and that uh, we, we weren't sure at that point whether we were going to, let's say we, whether the, the, some version or transcript or summary of the phone call would be uh, released, but we had heard it was coming and, that's, and what, it was, what it referenced, and that's, that's when, uh, when I knew things were changing. And then last Tuesday morning, I actually was in a meeting with the speaker. There were six of us in the room talking about a, a different subject and she told us that that afternoon that she was going to at that by that time it was it was 11 or so in the morning we had seen the um the, the narrative that was uh forwarded by the white house and i think i was one like everybody else who looked at it and said oh my god they actually released this <laughs> because we, we couldn't believe we figured if they released a narrative or a summary of it, it would be something that wouldn't be incriminating. Uh, But we had seen it by that time, and and at that point, Nancy Pelosi said, we're going to open an impeachment, official impeachment inquiry. And then, you know, it was was amazing how fast 80 or so members, Democratic members, uh, came out in support of the uh, impeachment resolution, but it was within, within 48 hours. What do you think it was that changed Nancy's mind? Was there one thing in particular that that pushed her over the edge? I think the the clear evidence that the president was uh, asking a foreign official to do political work for for him. Now, was there any concern at the time that that uh, Ironically enough, since she had been perceived, and I think rightfully so, as pushing the brakes on impeachment, that that making the dramatic announcement that she did before 
we even saw the transcript. Was there any concern among you guys that, well, wait a minute, maybe maybe this transcript's not going to turn out like we, we think it is? Was, <laughs> was, that, was that a concern? Um, it might have been. I, you know, I, I was, again, until I actually saw the language, I, I was not ready to think that it was a, something that would have that kind of impact. But, um, we, you know, I was always one who said, and I said this many times publicly to reporters and others, that I was confident Nancy always knew where we were headed. But that she, you know, she's, she's sitting there with a caucus, a third of whom, or a quarter of whom, uh, had never served in public office before. And here they've been in the House of Representatives for a few months. And they're going to be confronted with a decision as to whether to come out for impeachment of the president of the United States. That's tough for anybody, whether you're in a safe district or a swing district. And I think she, she was very sensitive to the pressure that that decision would have put on people who really had never been in the environment before. Mm-hmm. So, but I always felt that uh, she, she knew where we were, going to head, where we were going to end up because she sees on a daily basis more so than I do, and I, I was seeing it, but she sees on a daily basis the threat that President Trump poses to the country. And I mean, she's getting it because she's talking to people in the government. Uh, she's dealing with him. She's dealing with other with cabinet members. And she understood very well uh, the existential threat to democracy that President Trump poses. All right, now... As it turned out, the transcript was at least as bad, if not worse, than some people had anticipated. And I want to yeah. talk about that momentarily. But you, John, as the chairman of the Budget Committee, you have a, a, a specific role in this because you are looking at a critical part of this scandal, the, the stoppage of the funding of of the Ukrainian aid that was apparently done by the president specifically against the recommendations uh, of apparently all the the relevant agencies. Interestingly, CNN is reporting today. I don't know if you know this because I know you've been busy. They're reporting today that that Trump did that earlier than we previously thought, that it may have been actually in June of this year, which would have been about a month before the phone call as opposed to a a week before. But what what, what do we know and uh, about the timing and Trump's actions on this funding issue, stopping the funding, and what do you hope to find out in your committee's investigation of this? All right. Well, first of all, we have information that, and we don't know, we have not been able to verify it yet, but we have information that the decision or the order given to OMB to freeze those funds was actually done much closer to the phone call than previously uh, announced, but again, we don't know. So we have conflicting information there. If CNN is reporting something different, um, but what we've asked OMB for the Office of Management and Budget is a uh, an explanation and documentation for when the decision was made, what was behind the decision, and the actual document signed uh, where the uh, the, basically, the freezing of the, the, those funds was made. And, uh, you know, we, we sent that. I sent it with uh, Nita Lowy, who's the chair of the Appropriations Committee. We sent that uh, last Friday, and we're waiting to hear uh, from OMB. We've asked for a lot of documentation, so I, I wouldn't have expected to have it by now. Right. But uh, uh, we're going to give them a, 
respectable amount of time to respond, and then we'll see where we need to go from there. But it's critical that we know that because, you know, if, if even though a quid pro quo is not necessary, that evidence is important to establish whether that decision was made to put pressure on the decision to withhold $391 million from Ukraine was made in order to uh, allow President Trump to pressure Ukraine to get what he wanted. Right, and that's it's absolutely a critical issue. And but I guess I have two questions, follow-ups on this. How unusual would it be, and we, have you ever heard of uh, President Trump or, or President Obama ever acting alone to do something in a similar fashion? That's number one. And number two, it, there's been a lot of talk. Well, Trump has said well, that, you know, the Ukraine had no idea this was happening. Uh, is that true? Is it possible that they would have at least had a suspicion that, you know, the check that was supposed to be in the mail hadn't come yet? How does that work? So so you know, the two part question there. Can you give me a, uh, an answer to those? Well, first of all, uh, you would think that they would have since that money had been appropriated and authorized to be sent to Ukraine, that they would know. Uh, if they hadn't gotten it. <laughs> they clearly knew that they hadn't gotten it. Now, the question is whether anybody from the administration said to them, uh, there's a reason you haven't gotten it, and that's because you haven't played ball, and or there's a reason why we're holding it up. Now, the president has said, and this is why we're trying to get the information we are, the president has said on the one hand, well, he withheld the funds because he wanted to, he wanted, he was upset that Europe, the European Union and other allies had not put up any money to help Ukraine. That was his first excuse. In fact, European Union has put up twice as much money as the United States has. Mm-hmm. So that, the idea that, that, that other allies have not helped to, to bolster uh, Ukraine is totally bogus. Uh, so, we're, again, we're trying, there's still a lot to piece together on, on that and, and the sequence of events that uh, led up to that phone call. And that's why the evidence that we're trying to get is so important. Have you ever heard of, of President Trump or Obama ever doing something similar? No. Now, we know that there have been, there have been a number of uh, efforts by the administration to, uh, in, mostly in foreign policy, ironically, recently, to try and make it very difficult for the agencies to spend money that has been allocated to them. And this is something that we're very, very concerned with. It's called appropriate uh, apportionment. They, they, what, they do, what they've done is at the end, at the end of the fiscal year, and we, are, we just passed the end of the fiscal year, a lot of the money that gets deployed through the State Department is deployed in, the, in September, the last month of the fiscal year. What they did early in August was to change the logistics of that and the, the, the paperwork of that, that it made it very difficult for a State Department to actually access those funds in time to use them. Uh, they did it at the beginning of our August recess when nobody was really aware they had done it. So it was like August 3rd. They imposed these new requirements. So in a way, they were essentially sequestering funds uh, with that, that that had been duly authorized by Congress. So what? What just to keep them from being spent? Okay. To summarize, though, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like you're laying out a narrative here that this was all done as a way to make it 
confusing enough to where no one would be able to figure out what's really going on. Is that exactly? It made it made it much more difficult for them to use funds that they were uh, they were supposed to be deploying. Right now, okay. we don't know what we don't know where those funds were supposed to go yet. We just know that they were. <laughs> the new rules came down at the beginning of of August. That the the State Department was complaining that. The, the agencies that were supposed to have these funds, that, that they were going to have, find it difficult to comply within the time period in order to use them uh, before they before the end of the fiscal year when they would disappear. Mm-hmm. So it, it could have been just a, another strategy to cut government spending on foreign affairs. It could be something more nefarious. Okay. Well, I'm sure you'll get to the bottom of it, and we yeah. look forward to that. Now, I want to ask you a couple of questions about the transcript itself. Uh, do you and, and, and does your caucus – believe that the the transcript that we've all seen do, do you believe that that re- represents the full phone call not at all no we 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 are confident it is not uh they, they've done the calculation it was a 30-minute phone call the uh president Zelensky of ukraine speaks very good english so there there wasn't a translator involved and we know that the, the words that were act is about 2,000 words were actually in the transcript. That would have amounted to about half the time. So we know that there are, and there are ellipses in the in the narrative that were sent to us. Right. So we know that there was language left out, oh. uh, and 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 a considerable amount of the discussion. So is the theory then? Because I'm tr- I'm always trying, you know, John. I'm always trying to <laughs> figure out what's really going on and, and and get a picture that makes sense in the in the larger scheme of things. What I don't get is I agree with you. This is not the full phone call. And those ellipses are placed particularly uh, in suspicious areas. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but okay, so if someone was editing for content to protect the president, how the hell did you, can you do us a favor, though, stay in the transcript? How did that happen? It's a, it is mind-boggling. And that's what I said. I was stunned when I read it. I think most of my colleagues were stunned when they read it. And my only, my only guess is that there's somebody inside the White House who doesn't like what's going on. Well, <laughs> that's the only thing I could, because, I mean, you, you don't have to be all that bright to know that that's, that's dangerous language in there. Well, let's talk about that language and where it goes, because I, I absolutely am on board with what Trump is really doing here. He's Donnie Soprano. He's a mob boss. He's it's a wink and a nod. It's not even that subtle. I get all that. But but I'm of the belief, John, that that everyone is missing something incredibly important. And I want to get your take on it. As you well know, he does not raise Joe Biden immediately after he says, can you do us a favor, though? He references CrowdStrike and the Russian investigation ending the day before when Robert Mueller testifies and uh, and and he even invokes the attorney general uh, getting involved in all of this. And um, and and I didn't understand what what the hell Trump was saying there at first. And I don't think most people understood it. And when you don't understand it, you tend to disregard it because you, you don't want to talk about something you don't understand. And, and with Trump, it's easy to just say, well, he, he's just blabbing about nothing. But you have to understand this is his first ask after the, the favor. So this is important. This is even more important in priority than the Biden situation. And what I think is happening there, John is that he's not talking about 
exonerate me on something that I'm no longer concerned about because Robert Mueller just embarrassed himself in front of the nation. He even refers in the call to that having ended. He doesn't care about the past, John. He's worried about the future. And what's the future? The future is Roger Stone's trial. I think he's asking the Ukraine to help Roger Stone's defense against the United States of America. Has anybody in your caucus raised this issue? And I could, I'm amazed that no one is talking about this. I have not heard that raised any, at any point. What do you make? I mean, do, does that make sense uh, to you? I have, not, I have not thought about it. I'll have, to, I'll have to think about it. Of course, the one caveat I would, I would raise is that there clearly could have been something between there's a favor I want you to do for me, though, and the cloud strike reference crowd strike. I mean, there may have been something else in there, because uh, it, it looked like that that wasn't the actual success of sentence. No, I agree. I agree. And that was part of why I, it's one, there's a lot of reasons why people aren't picking up on this, because it's almost incomprehensible, that paragraph uh, in, in the transcript. But I would ask you, John, look into it, because I'm telling you, if this theory is true, and I and there are very uh, legitimate people who are are positing this theory. It would make sense from Trump's psychology. And if true, John, I would submit that that tampering with a federal uh, uh, trial on behalf of his friend against the United States is arguably at least as bad as asking a foreign country to tamper in our elections. Would it not be? Oh, absolutely. I think you're right. And I will raise that with uh, Adam Schiff the next time I see him. Well, because sure. just at least at least have somebody look into it. Think about it, because I because I'm, I'm a big believer that sometimes the, the most obvious things get lost, uh, especially when there's so much going on. And there's obviously a ton going on here now related to that, John. One of the first things that I uh, my responses to the transcript was, OK, this is bad in a vacuum. But in a rational world, and I realize we don't live in a rational world anymore, in a rational world, based upon this transcript, how can you not revisit the issue of the Russia investigation, specifically with regard to some of the counts of obstruction and even the issue of collusion that uh, obviously Mueller was not able to bring across the goal line. Did you have the same, and other people in your caucus, if they had the same reaction, but wait a minute, you know, I've used the analogy of if you let uh, your spouse off the hook when you thought they cheated on you once, and then all of a sudden they cheat on you right again, right off the bat, then all of a, you got to revisit the first episode because they were probably cheating on you the first time. <laughs> has, that, uh, has that logic made its way through your caucus at all? I think that that people do get that and have thought about it. I think right now the, the strategy, as has been publicly expressed, is that we have a, the clearest possible uh, 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 article of impeachment charge uh, with the, the, um, asking the, the Ukrainian government to seek dirt on uh, a political opponent and that we don't want to muddy the waters uh, on that, that we, have, that we have enough. Now, the other thing I would mention is, and I, you know, Jerry Nadler has said, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, he's still not, uh, you know, he said, we could put 15 counts of obstruction of justice 
in the articles of impeachment. And so, in other words, revisiting the, the Mueller report, uh, I don't think they're inclined to do that. But as Adam Schiff said today, uh, these, any, any reluctance or refusal or stonewalling by the administration to cooperate with Congress is going to be regarded as another as obstru- obstruction of uh, Congress and would oh. result in another impeachment charge. Okay, well, this gets me to the heart of a, a really important matter, and um, and I think I have a solution for you on this problem, okay. John. Okay, uh, <laughs> I'm sure you're waiting with bated breath to hear my solution. I but am, it, I am. No, but but I mean, uh, I, I get this problem of do you go big or you do go narrow, right? I, I get it, and I get that Nancy wants to go narrow, but I think she appears to be looking at this too much like a normal criminal case, like where you charge somebody for a crime they committed on this day at this place. Uh, you know, and let, let me use an example of burglary, right? Uh, you know, that uh, Trump is accused of uh, committing a burglary uh, on this time and place and this phone call in the Ukraine, and you got him dead to rights, at least an attempted burglary. And therefore, you, you don't, as you say, you don't want to muddy the waters. But I think that what you should do here is instead of charging Trump, and this is an impeachment deal. I mean, you have wide latitude on how you, you can do this. Instead of charging Trump with a single count of burglary, you charge him with being a burglar. In other words, you use Ukraine as your best evidence in one specific count of impeachment. This doesn't have to get complicated. This doesn't have to get, as you mentioned, 15 different counts. You do one count of obstruction of justice. And then under that general charge of being an obstructor of justice, you place all the things that are evidence that he is an obstructor of justice. The same thing with abuse of power. The same thing you could do with emoluments. The same thing with election tampering. You put this under election tampering. You have four counts, and then under each of those general umbrellas, you put the best evidence you have. This way, the the record is protected. The precedent is protected. It keeps it simple. It gives Republicans who might want to come on board options It also gives them the option to be able to vote against things so they can say they voted against it while still maybe voting for the one count they liked. What do you make of that theory? Uh, You know, I I watched on television this morning and and watched Bob Woodward make a a case for a much more expansive uh, impeachment charge. And I watched others argue the local uh, or the focused one. Uh, You know, I I see a lot of... of, uh, uh, merit in your argument. Uh, I can. I will raise it when I get when we get back to Washington. Well, and I appreciate that, John. But just to be clear, what I, what I'm suggesting is, and where I think the fundamental problem is, I think people are thinking about these different articles of impeachment as being actual acts of impeachable offenses, like the very specific. You don't need to make the articles specific. You make, like I said, three or four general topics of he's a burglar. <laughs> he's, no, no, he, I, I, you, I, I get it. I get it totally. And <clears throat> again, I think there's merit. There's merit in that. Okay. I, I do worry, you know, that and, and this is what of all the things that the president is pushing back with uh, and some of his uh, sycophants are saying the idea that you would impeach the president of the United States over one phone call is ridiculous. So that would... You know, if that were to resonate, then I'd say your your argument is totally 
and it will and it will resonate and 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 when, it will resonate with some yeah. and, and 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 let's go back to the one phone call and this is part of really why i i'm not just in the 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 go big camp because i believe he's done a lot of things that are impeachable and and that that record needs to be protected i'm looking at this from a very practical standpoint and there's some things about the phone call john that concern me I, from a from a political standpoint i'm with you on what was really going on there, and I think we're going to find out more evidence about what was really going on oh, there. We, we definitely will. Okay, yeah, I, we definitely will. I agree with that. But but let me play devil's advocate for a moment, and you know I know the, the, the right-wing media and the Trump cult as well as anybody. Mm-hmm. There's no tape recording of this. There's not going to be a tape recording of this. There, the, the crime, if you will, I've referenced it as kind of as a burglary. The, the burglary was stopped in the middle of the burglary. So it's not even an actual burglary. Ukraine has not opened an investigation into Joe Biden uh, that, that we know of. Uh, so there's no actual burglary to hang your hat on here. There's no actual damage that was done by the phone call. Over time, John, I don't see this being sexy enough to hold people's interests. Over time, I think people, they, the idea of this is just a phone call is going to resonate with enough people to where you're never going to be able to get Republicans to, to give away their entire political careers based only on that. Are my concerns legitimate? Yes. I think they are, but let me ra- let me raise another point. You say there's no recording of the phone call, right? There is a recording of the phone call. The Ukrainians have a recording of the phone call. The Russians have a recording of the phone call. You can bet on that because <clears throat> they bug everything in Ukraine. Um, and this is what now. This is not. This really doesn't go to the question of whether that's an impeachable offense or not. It goes to the question of the danger of this type of activity on the president because he's put him in a, himself in a position where he now can be blackmailed by Russia or Ukraine because they have the they have the recording they right. have the full conversation right and that's very very dangerous i agree but that's not going to resonate that's too but complicated no no that's that's not going to relate to the impeachment proceeding you're right and, and it's not going to resonate with people who are trump fans i mean they're just no, that's right that's um right. And, and so look so I, I you take it for what it's worth i i think there are problems with the phone call from a political standpoint i think there's enough there where Trump's people are going to be able to stand firm and that and the Republican support of him is not going to go away mm-hmm. based upon just this. I think if you have a cumulative effect, there's a chance you might get some, especially since you got a bunch of Republicans who are retiring from the House and don't have that much to lose. Um, all right, now let's go to another aspect of this, the, the, the actual Joe Biden allegations. I have been saying... Uh, and getting a lot of heat for it because I'm still known as a conservative, uh, and I don't, I'm not even a big fan of Joe Biden's, but you know he might be the best we got at this point uh, to try to save the country. I have been saying that th- this entire allegation doesn't even pass, uh, get, it doesn't even get out of the batter's box because the timeline is completely wrong, and there's absolutely no evidence that Joe Biden did anything wrong here. Are you in that camp? Absolutely, no question about it. Okay, as a matter of fact. The actual facts of it, and this is backed up by a lot of people in Ukraine and, and in, in the United States, is that he was actually trying to get prosecution of the same people that, the, that Trump is saying he was trying to avoid prosecution from. Right. He was trying to get their prosecutor, get this prosecutor out so that somebody would actually look into the corruption 
not a, not a not kill a, uh, an investigation, and it was two years after they had already stopped investigating. Right. Burisma. Okay, but as you well know, John, especially in politics, especially today, perception is reality. Reality, oh, yeah. means, reality means almost nothing. I, I am exceedingly concerned that this is going to end up costing Biden the nomination as your base starts to perceive this as Hillary's emails 2.0 when they should be seeing this as Obama's birth certificate 2.0. How concerned should I be about that? Well, you know, I've had numerous discussions about that over the last week with my colleagues and um, you know, I think if I had to say, would it affect him negatively, neutrally, or positively? I would say it's probably it's probably going to affect him negatively. The odds are it's going to affect him negatively more than it could help him. I think there's a remote chance it could help him if he's seen as somebody who's unjustly accused, but that would take a an, an enormous amount of concentration on the actual uh, allegations. Uh, by the public, and I don't think that's likely to happen. I think all he had to do was call it for Obama's birth certificate 2.0 at the next yeah. debate, and he wins, uh, at least with your base, because that will resonate with your base. Yeah, but he, yeah I, and he has been has been uh, curiously silent on, on this over the last week, and, and I, I think he does need to come out and do something. Well, and I, I think it's a big problem, and I, I think the early polls are already— I thought there might be a rally-round Joe effect uh, in this, but there's two polls out in the last— uh, 24 hours that indicate that that's not what's happening and that Elizabeth Warren appears to be taking control. Now, there's a lot of time, obviously, between now and the primaries. But I believe, John, that it is Elizabeth Warren whom Trump really wants to run against and with very good reason, because I think she would uh, have a much less chance of beating Trump than Joe Biden would. Do you agree with me on that? Yes, I do. How concerned would I you think she can? I still think she can win. Um, but. You know the poll. The polls show it that, that Joe Biden right now is our strongest candidate, and I, I still think he would be. I have no doubt that Joe Biden, uh, if you guys got behind him, uh, would beat uh, Donald Trump uh, pretty handily. I, I am ex- I am gravely concerned that Elizabeth Warren would not be able to do that, barring some sort of economic collapse or what have you, because I just don't think she plays well in the states that you need to win. You, you, we know the states you need to win. Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. Wisconsin and Michigan might go to any Democrat simply because you were lackadaisical last time and, and you know, there was overconfidence. That's not going to be the case this time. But uh, Pennsylvania, uh, Elizabeth Warren ain't going to beat Donald Trump in Pennsylvania, especially after he gets done spending uh, millions of dollars on the Pocahontas issue. Uh, It's done. It's over. And so if you don't win Pennsylvania and you don't win Florida, just someone please tell me how she wins. And uh, and I I personally think this is Trump's plan all along. And it's and I I think there's a darn good chance, John, that this is all going to turn out exactly like Trump wants. That, uh, you know, he gets, yeah, he gets impeached, but uh, other than that, uh, he ends up, uh, you know, being able to label you guys as the do-nothing Congress, and he gets Elizabeth Warren instead of Joe Biden. I mean, do you share that concern? It is a concern. I'm not overly concerned. You, you know, you mentioned Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. I saw some statistics the other day that in those three states, since 2016, there have been 1.4 million new voter registration. Of the 1.4 million, 400,000 registered as independents. Of the other million, it was three to one Democrat. 750,000 to 250,000 in those three states. That, to me, signals that uh, we're in good shape in those states with anybody. 
Yeah, I, I would prefer a sure thing rather than a... <laughs> well, so would I. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, last couple things real quick. Um, when uh, Trump first became president, you and I spoke uh, on my other podcast uh, about Mitch McConnell. And uh, you are a longtime a critic of McConnell. You've known him for many, many, many years in Kentucky. Uh, you, you disagree on virtually everything. Uh, um, uh, but you told me that you thought that if he ever perceived that Trump was a threat uh, to either him personally or to the Senate majority, uh, the Republican majority in the Senate, uh, that uh, McConnell might end up, uh, I, this is not the words you use, but I'm using the words that he might knife him in the back and he might bring him down. Yeah. Uh, um, we're now getting very close to the moment uh, of, uh, of truth on that, whether, whether that's still possible. I wrote yesterday a, a fictitious theory of how McConnell could actually still pull this off. Uh, I, I'm curious. I read it. I read it. Okay. <laughs> What were your what were your thoughts on that and and do you still it was hold a lovely it was a lovely fairy tale <laughs> <laughs> so so I'm taking it that you agree one that it's fiction and two you've given up hope that Mitch McConnell is going to do the right thing here. no no I still think that uh, Mitch is never going to do the right thing Mitch is always going to do the politically expedient thing and and I do still think there's a chance although less than I I did uh, two years ago that he would recognize that his majority is at stake and that he possibly, his career is possibly at stake, and then he would shut Trump down. You know, you saw a little bit, a hint of that when he, when he uh, said that he, when he told the White House that they had to, they had to provide the, um, uh, the, the narrative of the phone conversation, and then, and they did, and then uh, saying, coming right out and saying there would be a trial. Uh, so I think he's covering his bases right now and is waiting to see how bad the polling gets. Uh, you know, if it, if it got to the point where 50, between 55 and 60 percent of the people said, we want him impeached and removed, and that's not too far off, and, and he was down under, uh, at 40 or below on approval rating, I think he might start to, to think about uh, talking with his members and saying, maybe, maybe we need to go in a, another direction on this. All right. Finally, John, um, what would have to happen at this point for you guys in the House not to impeach Donald Trump during this uh, this term? Oh, I can't imagine anything that would happen. So there, it's 100 uh, percent that you cannot imagine a scenario where he does not get impeached by the House. No. <laughs> okay. I mean, first, first of all, you have you know, 225 Democrats so far have come out and said they're in favor of impeachment inquiry as far as the American people are concerned that's saying you want to impeach him. Uh, I don't think there's any way that those members, after making that really hard decision, are going to say, oh, well, the inquiry didn't turn out just like we thought, uh, because they've already, they've already energized so many people on the ground by that decision that they're not going to say, oh, no, I'm not going to vote to impeach him. And do you see any chance of the Senate actually voting to remove Oh, gosh, I would put it at 10 percent or less. But right. yeah, but, you know, having having been in Washington on the Hill in the Senate working for Republican senator when Richard Nixon uh, uh, was threatened with impeachment and I saw how fast public opinion turned and how fast Republicans turned against Nixon, uh, I know it's I know it's at least possible. 
It would need an economic collapse, though. There would have to, which which theoretically could happen based upon where or, the time. Or, or some other, or some other smoking gun. I mean, you know, there, there are rumors now that that uh, there is a whistleblower in the IRS who's going to, mm-hmm. uh, and this could come at any time that the president and the White House have uh, have intervened to affect the audit of his tax return. If you get a couple, one or more pieces of evidence like that, then I think Republicans start turning. We'll see. I don't know. I, I'm I'll be very skeptical. I'll believe that when I see it, which is why I wrote that uh, fantasy piece about McConnell <laughs> yesterday. All right, and finally, John, what's it like to be a grandpa? Oh, it's, it's amazing. Uh, you know what? I, the one thing somebody asked me, what is it? What does it meant to you? And I said, well, I tell you, it gives me a whole different perspective on mortality. That when you see your progenitor, <laughs> progenity, uh, progeny. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right, and you hold it, and you you understand that. Your name's going to live on, and your bloodline's going to live on. It's a, it's, I mean, other than looking into a beautiful face uh, who's now nine weeks old, uh, it's, uh, it's quite an experience. Well, and I, obviously, it cost me no sleep. <laughs> Aaron's, Aaron's golf game has gone to hell because of... <laughs> oh, I know. I know the feeling, John. I, yeah. I, I know the feeling. Well, I look forward uh, to, to meeting your grandson uh, sometime soon. And, uh, and it's, it's, I was thinking about this. I can't believe you have never met Grace or Diana yet. But we've no, gotta, that's right. We, I know. we, we got to get that to happen sometime soon. Well, John, I feel like I know him. I feel like I know him because I see him on social media an awful lot. <laughs> well, John, as always, great talking to you. And I think we'll be talking again sometime soon i imagine <laughs> all right take care okay you too bye so reviewing some of the news that just happened today the this morning there was a, a press conference with the uh, speaker nancy pelosi and the head of the intelligence committee adam shift about well they about a bunch of things they they wanted it to be about their legislative agenda because they really 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 want to make sure that the Trump doesn't uh, is not able to create this narrative that it's a do nothing Congress and that all they want to do is impeach him. Correct. I mean, that's what Trump wants. And so they were trying desperately to please, please, please. Can we talk about anything other than impeachment, even though that's what we know you all in the media want to talk about? And so they did answer some questions about that. There was no real news that I could tell. Uh, with regard to this press conference, it appeared to be an agenda narrative setting attempt by Pelosi and Schiff. I don't know how effective it was. Uh, it is interesting to me <laughs> to see Nancy Pelosi, a San Francisco liberal, talking uh, quite eloquently at times about her uh, reverence for the founding fathers and the Constitution and how important it is to stand up for constitutional principles. Uh, you know, one of the great things about Donald Trump is he has been able to get uh, diehard liberals to be in favor of things I never thought possible, like, for instance, being tough on Russia. It's another one I never thought we would see uh, far left liberals being uh, very much in favor of, uh, but certainly getting Nancy Pelosi to talk about how great uh, Ben Franklin is and the Republic and the constitutional principles. Uh, it's, it's interesting to say the least. We're living in very, very, very strange times. But I, I didn't think there was much in the press conference as far as news was concerned. But boy, did it provoke a response uh, from President Trump. Correct. Uh, he was uh, in, the, um, in the White House doing not an actual press conference, I guess it was an availability, with the president of Finland. They did two 
public events for the media today. The first one, the poor president of Finland was just sitting there as Donald Trump went on uh, what had to have been at least a 15 to 20 minute diatribe, some referring to it as a meltdown over what's going on with regard to impeachment and the Ukrainian situation. Uh, He attacked uh, everyone. He attacked the media as being uh, corrupt. They're no longer just uh, fake news. They're corrupt news. They're the enemy of the people. Uh, He uh, went after the whistleblower, saying that only legitimate whistleblowers should be protected, uh, that he's trying to find out the identity of the whistleblower, uh, his intimidation tactics against the whistleblower, which is still amazingly, the identity of this person is still amazingly unknown at this time, but they are continuing, uh, Trump is and his people are, to attack and intimidate the whistleblower. Uh, He was frankly unhinged in this whole thing. Uh, He was angry, um, but I have to say that for his base, what he said, I'm sure, uh, was rather effective for them. And that's what his goal was. Correct. Uh, and this has been a base presidency since the beginning, a cult presidency, as I refer to it, cult 45. And I, I have to say that everything I can tell, still being uh, in touch with the uh, the cult 45 base via my interactions on Twitter and even, unfortunately, some of my extended family interactions, I think this is going to be very effective in locking down the base. This angry attack mode, it's all, he's even referred to it on Twitter as all bullshit. Those are the, that's the word he used in capital letters, so it must be true. Uh, that, I think, is going to be an effective way of doing things. And, uh, and so I, I really, uh, it's frustrating to see that uh, Trump is going in this direction because it's not based in truth and it's, it's not based in something that's good for the country. It's totally unpresidential, but it's very likely to be effective, especially with his Colt 45 base. I love the poorly educated. And so uh, now some are trying to say that the bigger meaning here is that his unhinged nature is an indication that he is scared. In fact, Nancy Pelosi responded to that Trump press event by saying he is scared of being impeached. That might be true, and maybe he has reasons to be. But there are also some basic reasons, as I already alluded to in my interview with Congressman Yarmouth, that he doesn't have reason to be scared of, and that he will likely survive all this. And there are some ways in which this is actually going quite well for him. They're raising money off of this. Uh, he is Republican base and state run media is holding strong. Uh, and uh, it is there's some evidence that this is already harming Joe Biden, which he claims is what he wants, that he actually prefers to run against Biden. But that's a told that's that's bullshit. That that is real bullshit. He does not run, want to run against Joe Biden. He wants to run against Elizabeth Warren. And it certainly seems as if that's the direction in which things are going. So this could all work out exceedingly well. Uh, for Donald Trump in the long run. Uh, He also referenced a new book that I have to at least mention uh, by a couple of New York Times reporters. Boy, where have we heard this before? A a New York Times reporter book by New York Times reporters uh, where there's been a lot of attention surrounding comments that Trump made earlier this year that he wanted a moat around our border fence (laughs) filled with snakes and alligators and that the... uh, the fencing or the wall would be uh, uh, would have flesh piercing spikes at the top of the wall. 
and that he urged our military or the Border Patrol to uh, shoot those who came into the country illegally. When told he couldn't do that, <clears throat> well, why don't we just shoot them in the leg? Uh, and, uh, and then most interestingly, from a conservative perspective, and this got by far the, the least amount of attention, although it should not have among conservatives, he also apparently uh, responded to concerns about uh, whether or not the land needed to build more new portions of the wall could simply be uh, taken by the government. And Trump apparently said, go ahead and take the land and make them sue us. Now, this doesn't surprise me at all because (laughs) this is a guy who has felt this way as a real estate mogul for a very long time. He has not respected property rights. Uh, But this is a concept that used to be something that conservatives were very much against this whole uh, concept of imminent domain and the government simply taking the land of private citizens and doing with it whatever the hell they want and saying, hey, go ahead and sue us. Well, you know, if Barack Obama or any other liberal president had said that, there would have been hell to pay by conservatives, but we no longer live in that world. Trump has vehemently denied, vehemently denied that this is uh, what he said. Who knows what that means? With a normal president, vehemently denying something would have meaning. With this president, it obviously does not. Correct. However, um, what I think is really happening here is he is giving his cult options. He is giving the cult the option of this is fake news. I didn't say it. And uh, this is the corrupt media going after me on everything that they're, they are not to be relied upon. And oh, by the way, if you like what he said, and I guarantee you, I guarantee you there are a lot of Trump fans who loved what was in this uh, New York Times book about the moat and the snakes and the alligators and the flesh piercing spikes and the shoot them in the leg. Uh, and maybe who knows even about the eminent domain stuff. I, I guarantee you that if the cult wants to believe he said it, they'll believe it. See, that's what you do. You give the cult options. You give them a buffet table full of different flavors of bullshit, and they will pick their favorite flavor of bullshit, and therefore you don't have to pick a lane for them. It's a brilliant strategy. I actually think this is one of those strategies that is done mostly on purpose by Donald Trump. He understands that's how you make the cult work. That's You give them options. You don't force them into a lane. They can pick the lane they want. They will always pick a lane that allows them to support you. Just let them have options on how exactly to do that. I mentioned in the last episode of the Individual One podcast that this week's polls were going to be critical. They were going to be critical on impeachment and they were going to be critical on the Democratic nominating process. So far, and it's only Wednesday, so it's a little bit early, the polls are all over the place. However, I think there is much for Donald Trump to be happy about in what we have seen so far. His approval rating is largely holding steady. There's a little bit of erosion, but that's to be expected considering the barrage of negative media coverage over the last two weeks over this Ukrainian scandal. There's no implosion of his approval rating as of yet, no indication that there will be. Support for impeachment is rising, but it's not rising dramatically. It's rising to dangerous levels. It's rising to the level where approximately 46, 47 percent of the American people may be in favor of not just impeaching him, but removing him from office. That's a significant number. But frankly, that's at this point, the number of people who are sure to vote against him, no matter who the Democratic candidate is in the 2020 election. 
That's a dangerous, dangerous number if you're an incumbent, but it's not insurmountable in a two-person race, You can, especially when you don't have to win the popular vote. So 47 46% of people in favor of your removal from office would normally mean you have no chance for re-election. That's not the case with uh, Donald Trump, especially when you look at what's going on on the Democratic side. I had predicted, and maybe this was more hopeful than, uh, you know, something that I thought was actually going to happen, although there was some logic to it. I had predicted that this Ukrainian situation was going to help Joe Biden in the short run, that there would be a rally around the flag effect, uh, that uh, people on the left would feel very badly about abandoning him and might even rush to his defense because he's so obviously being attacked by the person they hate, President Donald Trump. But that over the long run, this Ukrainian story was going to greatly hurt him, that the drip, drip, drip would be out there. This would appear to be like the second coming of Hillary's emails and that it would help Elizabeth Warren in the long run and may give Donald Trump what he really wants, which is Elizabeth Warren as his opponent. Well, there was one poll indicating a bounce for Joe Biden nationally. A political poll had him up by 11 points, but that poll was not taken uh, very much uh, with with most of that poll having occurred after the Ukrainian story has had an opportunity to really sink in. There are two new polls with much fresher data that show the opposite, that it's not a bounce for Joe Biden, that in fact it is a diminishment of his support and a slight increase for Elizabeth Warren. It is still too early to be definitive, but these two polls to which I refer, the most recent national polls, appear to be very bad news for Joe Biden. Because if there is an erosion of his support now, when there should be theoretically a rally around the flag effect, over time, this has the potential to be totally devastating. And the fact that Elizabeth Warren is the person that is taking advantage of it is particularly bad for those of us who do not want to see Donald Trump reelected. And then you add on to that the news today that Bernie Sanders is now off the campaign trail because of a fairly major surgery where he's had two stints implanted. Uh, This is almost a perfect storm now uh, against Joe Biden, because as I've been saying for a very long time, Bernie Sanders being somewhat healthy but not a major threat to actually win the nomination is a must for Joe Biden to be able to pull this off. If his support erodes, it's going right to Warren, especially since she has the momentum. So right now, and it's just a snapshot, and it's too early to come to any definitive conclusions, but right now, everything continues to go in the direction that I have been saying for the last month or so. Bad for Joe Biden, good for Elizabeth Warren, which in turn is good for Donald J. Trump. Correct. And uh, so I hate to say that, but that's where it looks like we're heading. A lot obviously can and will happen. But as of today, uh, that's where I think we are. As is always the case, we finish the Individual One podcast with an update on our percentages of whether or not Trump will finish his first term in office and whether or not he'll be reelected. And there's been some change in the negative on the second number. I'm going to keep the the chances of him not finishing his first term in office at 13%. But I'm going to go all the way up now to an almost record high of 48% chance of re-election for Donald Trump based upon those poll numbers involving 
uh, Biden and Warren that I just referred to, as well as the health of Bernie Sanders. That'll do it for this episode of the Individual One Podcast. As is always the case, please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share this show via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. That's Individual the Number One Pod. Until next time, my name is John Ziegler. You're listening to the Global Story Network. Oh,